0: This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner.
1: And I'm Pete
0: Skamoroff. We've begun to see some really interesting bot stacks emerge. Last week, Google announced that it's buying API.AI. That's a service with some tools that help you build and deploy chatbots. And it resembles WIT.AI, which Facebook bought back in 2015. I made a graphic that sort of illustrates the bot ecosystem. The tools and platforms and frameworks that people can use to build and deploy chatbots and that can link together chatbots once they're on the market by sort of acting as godbots. You can find a link to the graphic in the show notes for this episode. But basically, I divided up this area into about four categories. You've got general AI agents that stitch everything together, like Siri from Apple and now from Google. You've got messaging platforms like Facebook Messenger and WeChat and Skype. You've got these generalized sort of natural language and AI as a service platforms that all the big web services companies are racing to roll out right now. They're things like Alexa Voice Service from Amazon and Cognitive Services from Microsoft. And you've got these bot frameworks and deployment platforms like WIT and API.ai, Microsoft Bot Framework, BotKit, and so on. At this point, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook all have pretty formidable bot stacks That are coming together. Apple has what you could call a mini bot stack. It's got Siri as well as iMessage, which is actually a really huge messaging platform. Our guest today sits atop one of these bot stacks, arguably the most formidable of the bot stacks. And she's also speaking at O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. If you're building bots or thinking about building bots or thinking about bot strategy, you ought to join us at O'Reilly Bot Day. For more information, visit o'Reilly.com. Slash bots. Our guest today is Lily Cheng. She runs Fuse Labs at Microsoft. That's for future social experiences. And she's a giant in the bot world. Welcome, Lily.
2: Thanks, John.
0: So, um, Pete and I have talked a little bit about a lot of the cool bots that Microsoft has been putting out a couple of weeks ago. Um, some of them were, were our bot of the week, the Your Face bot, the Summarize bot, the, the Morphe bot. It seems like a lot of Microsoft's bots recently have had a ton of personality and sort of edge to them. Is that a conscious design decision on, on your part?
2: Well, I think one of the things that we're trying to understand is how you make AI and bots interesting to people. And so we've been Kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. I think we've also been thinking about what new things you can do with bots, especially around imagery. What a system can understand in an image, like your expression, you know, how old you are, whether or not you're wearing a mustache or have a mm-hmm. mustache even. And so we've just been thinking, what can people do with these technologies that might be conversation inspiring?
0: Cool. And do you find that like people are more drawn into conversations with bots that that uh, have a little edge to them than with You know, drier bots?
2: It probably depends on what you're trying to do. So, if you're trying to get customer support, you know, you might not really want the edgy bot helping you with that. So, I think it's really, you know, depends on what you're trying to build and what you're trying to use a bot for. But I think for social bots, people are looking for something interesting to interact with. And often it might, is probably not solo. It probably is often with, together with your friends.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the things I think going back, another bot we talked about was, was it, how old bot, uh, where there were, you would post your picture and it would guess your age. That felt like a precursor to a lot of the things we're seeing now. Can you say anything more about that?
2: Well, How old was um, was just an experiment. So a lot of these really are experiments, and I think we were really surprised by how many people, you know, wanted to see if their age could be guessed correctly, and then how many people tried to game it or they figured out, mm-hmm. you know, if you smile and put your arm on your hip, you know, that you look younger. And most of these were shared with friends, right? So you would see a Mm -hmm. lot of these pictures show up on Facebook and people either really happy that they looked really young or their friends looked really old. And so I think that really taught us that, you know, people want to engage with each other. And often these tools can just give them something new um, to socialize around.
0: Yeah, so like photo playing tools, tools that help you kind of, you know, make fun stuff with photos have been around for a while, but usually in a conventional web interface. And I thought the the interesting thing to, to Pete and me when we were talking about these bots um, from Microsoft is that actually the conversational aspect begins to feel pretty natural because of that tweaking sort of pattern that you're describing. You know, you put in some input, you look at what it gives you back, and then you you kind of like go back and you tweak and you send a, a slightly different picture or you adjust it a little bit and that's that's actually a very kind of conversational sequential process.
1: Yeah, it kind of kind of reminds me of uh, Reddit and a lot of these other internet forums that are very social. Uh, I even remember was it like Fark dot com uh, had these Photoshop contests that now I you know are on Reddit. And- <laughs> It's this whole subculture of someone posts a picture and then it evolves, right? So in a more iterative way. So it's I, I feel like there's a bit of that spirit in in the DNA of these bots. or Are you doing that purposefully to engage people?
2: I mean, I don't know how. I mean, we are um, building these bots, and different people are building bots and experimenting. And I think one of the first things people do when they experiment is you know is be playful. And so conversation should be playful and engaging. And I just think we AI um, tools, you know, require people with a lot of education to actually, you know, create these tools. And sometimes we have to remember to make it fun, I think. So we've just been trying to keep it human and fun um, for a lot of the social bots and just understand what, what people like doing and, you know, and we're willing to be surprised too.
1: What kind of things are you learning from those experiments?
2: Well, I think what's interesting is what you want to get back is different than what you want to share. So, honestly, a lot of the lessons and things I think that we're learning with bots is very reminiscent of social software in the early days, Mm -hmm. where a lot of people thought, you know, why would you ever want to write a sentence and share that out with people that you don't know? And I think we had a lot of dreams about where social software would go. One of the things I think that we had hoped was social software was born of the web. And so we really Mm -hmm. believed it would be very open. And I think today, when you look at social networks, um, you know you have to be in my social network in order for me to talk to you unlike email which really preceded um, social networking and so I think we're trying to push this spirit of openness so one of the things that we're doing is we're making our tools available all of the AI tools available you know open source for people to play around with and we've componentized things so you can really mix and match if you want to try you know something for Microsoft you can if you want to try something else um, and mix that in it's really easy and then we've made it really easy to publish to many different platforms mm-hmm. but I think that open- Openness also goes to kind of the spirit of conversation and bots, right? We want to try different things. So we're trying serious things also, um, but we want to make sure we push ourselves to also have humor and be playful.
0: Yeah. So have you found sort of linkages like best practices that you've learned? in making funny, playful bots that translate over then to, uh, you know, a customer service bot or a CRM bot or something?
2: Well, we haven't necessarily, I think one of the things that we've learned is chit chat. Chit chat, I don't know if it's an Mm -hmm. industry term or not. Bot terms seem to be, you know, evolving quickly. But chit chat is something that we kind of came up with when we were building Xiao Weiss, which was a social chat bot in China. Mm -hmm. And we found that, kind of underlying bots, you want it to be able to understand and kind of do basic conversation. So you're seeing, you know, welcome, greetings, Mm -hmm. um, certain things like that. What bots do when they don't understand something, you know, what they do when you're going out of the bounds of their expertise. So I think there are ways to kind of bring people back into the conversation, just like you do, you know, when you're having a a human-to-human conversation. Um, Right. Probably some other things that we're learning, which are pretty interesting, maybe less, um, it's just how do you actually design dialogue. And so designing good dialogue, I think, is something that the whole, you know, anybody building bots is really trying to understand. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we found is that dialogue is a little bit more, well, first of all, it's social and so you know, it's multi-user. You're expecting the system to sort of understand you a little bit more. And it's also Mm time-based. What I mean by that is um, you don't really say to me, I'm home. (laughs) right? expect to start over (laughs) or Repeat. You might say, What? Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. or you might ask a question to kind of indicate to me that you don't understand. Right. So I think we're looking at what are the commands that you give to clarify, repeat, refine without. Saying those Mm -hmm. words, and it's really different than you know in the graphical user interface. Um, Because in the graphical user interface, you're also press. You have a back button. You have a very visual experience. And the graphical user interface on your phone or your desktop really is single user. Like Mm -hmm. I press back, and it doesn't go back for you. Or I can do all kinds of things and it it only navigates my experience. Whereas I think when you start with dialogue and conversation, you just have a very different mental model mm-hmm. for how the experience is gonna work. And in some ways it gives us the, you know, the privilege I think of of rethinking a lot of things. So we've been having a lot of fun just trying to figure out how you can do some baseline dialogue and then also how to how to engage people, you know, and where and, and maybe help people, you know, it kind right. of depends like I said on the purpose.
0: So, Lily, you just raised a really interesting point about sort of how you respond and tell a bot that you don't understand, because a couple of weeks ago, Pete and I spoke with Kathy Pearl, who's a voice user interface designer. And and we talked at some length about the different ways that bots can indicate that they don't understand you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the Amazon Echo, for instance, has a lot of gradations. It's got three different responses if it doesn't understand you. One is it says, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question I was asked. The second one is it just makes this sound that's like, and then it turns itself off. And the third one is it just silently turns itself off. And so these these three, you know, ways of saying I don't understand you are available to the bot. But you you don't see a lot of, you know, functionality built into bots for understanding someone who who's just like what or, you know, a long pause or um, or. No question mark or something like that,
1: you know it's funny, as you were saying that, I was just laughing to myself because my my five year old daughter has started sounding like uh Amazon Alexa, so she says, "I'm sorry, I don't <laughs> understand I don't know the answer to the question you just asked she <laughs> doesn't know something It's pretty funny, so uh, do you think like we're gonna adapt more uh to bots like in a way our brains have adapted to Google and you know in in the way that we search for things and query do you think Uh, Or do you think it's more on the chat interfaces and the platforms to evolve to to our searching behavior?
2: Well, it's my hope that, you know, we have learned over many years to adapt the way we think and act to the way computers are structured and the way they're organized. And I think part of the promise of bots and conversation to begin with is to simplify a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we will always have, I think, graphical user interface. Well, not always, but, you know. It's not going away anytime soon. Uh But I think people are looking for something simpler and easier and maybe more human that matches more the way we think and discuss. And so I think that's been a dream for people working in computer science for a long time. Mm -hmm. And now... We have, you know, technology and data and tools that make that easier. And I think people are also much more open to it because people spend so much time in their chat apps and communication apps, interacting with people they know, but interacting with people they don't know in groups. And so it feels a lot more natural than it did, you know, 20 years ago or so when we were starting to play around with IRC, you know, and other early precursors of chatbots.
1: And one of the things that we were talking about with these bots, it seems like they are a bit of a, it reminds me of web mashups, right? So some of the Microsoft bots, (laughs) by kicking the tires and poking around, it feels like, you know, seven or eight years ago, I would have been building a Ruby on Rails app, calling a bunch of APIs. It -hmm. seems like under the hood, I noticed there might be a little you know, uh, Knowledge Graph, a little bit of Bing in there. And so are you, are you uh, connecting to a bunch of other services for Microsoft internally? And then are, are some of those accessible to developers uh, in terms of AI and intelligence?
2: Yeah, so the Bot Framework has a sister project called the Cognitive Services. And in the Cognitive Services, we are releasing many of our little AI tools. So there's vision tools, speech tools, the language processing tool that we use, LEWIS, which stands for um, the language understanding tool, um, is in the cognitive services. And so we wrap a lot of those services as well as other services to create bots. And what's neat about them is you can use those services really to do anything you want. You don't have to create a bot with them. You can use, you know, image, the image captioning service and emotion and imaging for anything. You know, it doesn't have to be a chat bot. But, um, we're just seeing that there's really a, you know, people really like mixing them together. And so we've made it really easy to blend them.
1: So you're, you're under Microsoft Research, right? And we talked before about God bots. So this idea that maybe there'll <laughs> be a few, bo- one bot to rule them all, or maybe several bots by the major internet uh, software uh, providers. And so the ones that come to mind are, you know, like Siri, and we talked about Alexa just a minute ago, and then Cortana. So how how do your efforts relate to to that? And I know Satya publicly has been pushing and demoing uh, Cortana quite a bit.
2: Yeah, Satya has been great. He's been like really helpful, and um, I mean, just he's just really committed to pushing kind of this conversation to the platform vision. And so we work really closely with the Cortana team. So one of the things, as you can imagine, people can use many different tools to build bots. So we have Show we have Cortana, we have a whole slew of other, I would say, more advanced bots that different people around the company are working on. And so a lot of those don't, they maybe preceded the bot framework or they just have things that might be too complex for a developer. They just really weren't written in a componentized way. So what we've been doing as much as possible is having everybody reuse the parts that we have that are easy to use and then take parts of their bots and basically break them down if they think other people in the company or third parties can reuse them. And, you know, we'll publish those out as we have them. And that's actually how we started the whole bot framework. We had been building a bunch of bots and we were using the cognitive services and we had been having a developer per channel on each bot. And we open source that internally in our company so other people could use it. And it just sort of took off. So the Cortana team was actually one of the first teams who said, hey, we want to plug Cortana in here so we can see Cortana everywhere. And, you Mm -hmm. know, the Skype team had said, like, let us be a channel. We'll hook up our stuff. And people just did a really nice job of hooking all their stuff up. And um, and we just thought, hey, if this is working so well on the inside, let's push it out and see if people like it.
1: Um, We're talking a lot about consumer bots and those other examples, but I'm really interested in workplace bots. And it seems like you know the future, we'll be like, you know, Tony Stark and Iron Man with these <laughs> AI assistants in the workplace. And is it like that in uh, in Redmond? is uh, everybody have their own bot?
2: Um I need a bot. I think I, I have some, <laughs> but they're not they're not always doing my job for me yet. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, work is a big part of what we do. Work products, um, office, and. You know, all the productivity tools. And so we've been thinking a lot about how your assistant at work can help you get your job done better and faster and more effective. One of the things that I've been really um, starting to play around with a lot is email. Hmm. And so I know people sometimes think of email as like, you know, so different and foreign from chat apps, but you know, you talk to the same people. Like we Mm -hmm. exchanged at mail and set up this call, and now we're chatting. And, you know, email is still really important. If for certain types of communication, especially for work, and so we've been thinking, how is it different if the chat and conversation you're having is longer form? Um, you have more mm-hmm. screen real estate for UI. You can add in forms. And so, how what is it? How can we simplify the authoring experience for people if you're writing email bots and also chat bots? Right? right? Can they have the same understanding of a person?
0: Yeah, it goes to this high-level question about sort of what is a bot. That um, I get asked a lot and probably both of you get asked uh, all the time. And I always say it's, you know, a bit of software that uses AI to converse in human terms. But that's a much wider definition than um, than a lot of people use. Uh, Andy Morrow, who came on the podcast last week, said, uh, you know, he he defines them strictly conversationally. Uh, and, and a lot of people do. But to me, yeah, the X dot A.I you know, scheduling bot or the Clara scheduling bot is is absolutely a bot as much as, you know, any bot that lives inside Skype or Facebook Messenger, um, because it's, you know, it's, it's taking some structured data and it's translating back and forth between that and some APIs and then natural language.
1: The other thing that brings to mind, I think we mentioned in a previous episode that there was this notion for a while of uh, email first startups. So um, I think a lot of people have flocked to developing bots thinking, oh, this will be easier than developing a mobile app or a web app in the same way that, oh, if I do an email first newsletter and then that evolves into a product, that's a good way to get started. But I think in talking to a lot of bot developers, it feels like the reality is it's actually very difficult to build uh, compelling conversational interfaces. So if you're building a platform, it sounds like you're planting some seeds where you would like to see that happen, a thousand bots blooming. Um, is that, is that your, one of your objectives?
2: So I guess we, yeah, I, yes, in a sense. I mean, I think we really would love to see this ecosystem of people, um, writing bots. And I go with your definition, John. I mean, mm-hmm. we were originally kind of going through this whole thing of, should we call them bots or assistants or chat bots or whatever? And, um. You know, I kind of went back to the IRC definition of a bot, mm-hmm. which is very open-ended. It's a, It really is about, you know, software that's in your communication tools, but that can be quite broad. So we just hope more people can do it. We know it's hard. I think what's beautiful about it is it's deceptively, people think it's simple because the end user experience promises to be very simple, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It's portable. um, You can do it through dialogue. So I think because the end user experience is simple, we might think that the creation experience is simple. Mm -hmm. And actually, it it's requiring people to understand things like dialogue or, you know, entities in a sentence. And these are, I I don't know, I think developers are really having fun with it. I mean, I think they're, they want to learn these new skills and, you know, they've built apps and, and web pages. And so people are Mm kind of like, what's, what's a new way to author software. Right. So, you know, so I think people are having a lot of fun and we just want to make those tools easy and accessible enough that you don't need to have, you know, a whole Microsoft research in your you know, startup with, you know, people <laughs> who know all these tools because it's those thousand people that are going to make something really awesome.
0: Right. One of the challenges that uh, I, I can think of if you're sort of a developer who's maybe starting out and thinking of building a bot is that the, the canvas is in a way completely empty. Right. When you're designing a, a website for a business or a mobile experience or something, there there's, you know, 60% of the of the look and feel of of the site is kind of a standard thing. There's some logo at the top and a toolbar and some maybe some bar on the side. And the functionality and feel are all pretty like intuitive from having used a million websites in the past. And everyone has really settled on a couple of design languages that are that are common across just about every you know website. With conversation, um, you know, first of all, most people haven't used that many bots because there just aren't that many bots out there yet. And also conversation is inherently kind of open ended. Right. It's like it's like the difference between, you know, writing a film script and um, and and creating a, a website. It's just it's a it's a blank page that you can do anything with. So do, do you think, um, you know, best practices will emerge and kind of a and kind of a, um, a common set of functionality will become standard or? Uh, or do you think bots are this like giant open area that's going to be giant and open indefinitely?
2: Well, I think we hope that there's some standards because I think it'll make it easier to create them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there'll probably be different parts, just like a game that you play has very different standards than, you know, office software. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have different purposes. So I think you're going to see, you know, kind of different styles and best practices emerge. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about, like security and notifications mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the directory and a lot of these things. I think most people building bots hope that there are standards around that stuff so that they don't have to do all of that stuff. I mean, you want to build your app, but you don't necessarily want to build an app store. And, you know, you like that notifications exist. So so I think we really probably need to think about what are the parts that people really don't feel like building and how can we make some of those easier or less tedious mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, I think there'll be more. I think there'll be some standards. That's one of the things that we're hearing. People are saying, you know, what are great examples of bots? And maybe we Mm -hmm. can break that down a little bit better. Um, What are examples of bad bots? Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, where do people start dropping off? And I think if we can share some of those best practices, then people won't have, you know, bad experiences creating bots and I'll keep trying.
0: So at a lot of companies, bot efforts and, and speaking broadly of like all companies that are doing anything with bots right now, at a lot of companies, bot efforts, are coming from either you know maybe a marketing kind of uh, drive or uh, you know an IT or web tools drive or a developer relations drive or something like that, it, but at Microsoft it sounds like um, all of the bot efforts are coming from kind of a social computing um, background and a social computing group. Could you sort of talk about what social computing is and and what that means?
2: You know, social computing to me was born of the web. So the web was really. You know, this system where you connect with people you don't know and Mm -hmm. it kind of bred a new kind of communication where I might not have to know you or your email name or your address in order to find you and talk to you Mm -hmm. and we could share and it could be more open. And I think that was just it was born of the web because it was it matched, Mm -hmm, you know, and mm -hmm. it was very different than sending an email was before. And email is still here and social networks are still here and um, they're all thriving. And I think this era of software development is being born of like you're in a conversation. How can that be better? Do you always have to leave your conversation to go share a link or make a reservation Mm -hmm. or schedule a meeting? Can you just do stuff where you are rather than always having to context switch? Um, And it could just be faster and more efficient. And so I think, you know, bots are really coming out of the fact that people are spending so much time online communicating. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I think back to your other question about Social, I mean, I, I do think social includes work, is also, you know, you have dialogue and communication at social. So social doesn't just mean fun and entertaining social. It can mm-hmm. also be productivity social. And so, you know, think of how much of your day at work you spend communicating, maybe versus even if you're coding, you're coding with other people. So I just think that they're both social. Right. Um,
1: that brings up another interesting point. Uh, you mentioned Chow Ice before. That's one of the few bots that. Is involved in a group conversation. So most of the bots that you interact with right now on, in this era on Facebook or Slack are one to one. So you're having you're talking to a bot. The bot talks back to you. Even the social bots on Slack, for the most part, we we did a um, an interaction with the Sensei bot where mm-hmm. it farms out your question to another human, and the exchange is mediated by the bot. But with Chai, so it, it it's in a group setting. It's almost like it's one of your friends, and it intera- interjects and interacts. And that's even different from Amazon Alexa, which can only speak when spoken to, right? So can you say a little bit more? Like, It sounds like you're pushing into this territory of how should bots interact in a group of humans?
2: Well, I think if you're willing to bring your bot into your group of friends or your work group, it's kind of an indicator that it was worthy of, hmm. you know, you... Introducing it to the people that you work with. And so we're very interested in groups and how bots can facilitate um, group interaction. So the photo thing is sort of a fun, almost like a trick. Mm -hmm. You sharing a photo of someone um, just encourages people to have something to talk about. Often you wouldn't really just talk with your friends if it's just chat. It kind of is purposeful. And maybe we found people like um, interacting with chat bots, and sometimes your group isn't there. So mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, I might have a group in Slack or, you know, whatnot. And if I go into the group, maybe no one else is there. And so with a chatbot, the chatbot's always there. And you can kind of leave a trail of what you were thinking of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I guess you could do it anyway. You could just talk to yourself and leave yourself reminders and leave that for the group, but it doesn't have the same... Trail as if you leave a trail with a chat bot. So you see, how someone else was just here, and it also teaches you, oh, I could do this funny thing, or you can leave, right. you know, some work for people or a joke for people. So I think we should think more about, you know, how chat bots facilitate group interaction because group interaction actually is not that great today. Mm-hmm. There's always someone really quiet. Um, it even begins with like, hey, in order to have a group, you have to come into my group software, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody likes text messaging and they don't feel like going into your group software, and then they're just out. You can't even talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, So we think that group interaction is really a foundation for, you know, society. Like in order to function, you tend to have groups that you interact with. It's a good predictor of whether or not you have a healthy organization or, you know, community or whatnot. And so I think I'm thinking more about how bots interact together with multiple people is really going to make them more useful.
0: And speaking of bots that interact with multiple people, the Tay bot was an important milestone in in bots this past spring. <laughs> um, for I, I'm sure that the listeners uh, read about Tay when it was happening, but just in case you didn't, it was a, a Twitter bot that was similar to Xiaoice, created by Microsoft, and was the subject of some tampering by maybe some 4chan folks or something. Um, and since it was a learning bot, that reacted to um, information that that people were sending it on Twitter. It took on some kind of unsavory characteristics and was was ultimately shut down and and inspired a, a great many um, think pieces on Medium about how computers you know learn from us and how we learn from them and so on. So was what happened with Tay a matter of kind of group interaction with the bot? Do you think that was would that have happened if it were a one to one bot?
2: So that was a very very big group. We actually had built Xiao Ice first, as I mentioned, and Xiao Ice was very successful in China, one-on-one mm-hmm. and in groups on WeChat and other chat services in China and has like, I don't know, 40 million users. It's, it's very, but of course the Chinese society and online, you know, regulation is very different than Twitter. Okay. And so we had thought, what if we build a U.S. version? And so we actually built Tay for Kick and me because we thought, let's start, by experimenting with students who really mm-hmm. grow up chatting and see what that experience is like. And so that's probably my, like my, our biggest group learning. We started on GroupMe, and it was so fun because you would see that somebody else used it for this, or they would roll a feature out, and you could you could kind of scroll back over the history and see it and leave things for other people. Uh-huh. And those were groups that we were playing with, and students were, students were in there that I think if you had just had them in a group by themselves would have kind of been these dead, mm-hmm. dead groups that nobody interacts with. And we did um, Twitter really as an afterthought. We added Twitter pretty late. Um, and we just underestimated, you know, the behavior in Twitter compared <laughs> the, to like you herds. and your friends. Right, yeah. so, right, right. Yeah. So I think, you know, we we learned a lot about parts of the internet that we weren't thinking about. And so we, you know, I think everybody was mm-hmm. a little surprised by what happened. But I think, you know, we're optimistic on how these chatbots can really help people communicate.
0: When you deployed it on GroupMe, did you limit the, the learning, kind of sandbox the learning to the different groups? Or did... Um, you know, language and kind of emotions that Tay learned in one group come out in another group?
2: So, I, you know, Tay wasn't really, I mean, it was out for like a day, so we didn't (laughs) learn that much. But um, one of the things that was really interesting about Xiao Ice is Xiao Ice knows, has a profile of you as an individual and then can interact with you as groups. And uh. people said in the beginning, sometimes she would out, you know, that you'd been like counting sheep all night or that was mm. that's one of her skills or, mm-hmm. you know, that you had confessed you were busy with homework or something like that. And so they really had to start saying, OK, well, this is what happens if you're one on one and this is what can't be shared if you're in a group because you mm. just don't want your friends to know, maybe even who you're that you're talking to this person more than that person. So I thought that was really, I mean, that's just a whole area that we could explore a lot more. Like, how does the bot, your, you could have said the Uber bot, you know, the Cortana mm-hmm. and Alexa, like what happens when they do become social and you trust them enough that they could be your alter ego, like a real alter ego. Like it shouldn't say everything about you when you're in this other setting. And so those are the kind of things I think that if we don't get them right have the right privacy policies in line Mm -hmm. people will get you know people won't want to use them so
1: Hmm. yeah it's it's interesting most of the bots that we've looked at in this program i wouldn't describe as ai in the sense of online learning right so they have some pre-baked ai maybe that is then exposed uh and is static but when you have real users in your learning things get very complex very quickly right um and so I hope Microsoft keeps moving in that direction because that feels like where uh, things will get really interesting. But even in the workplace, uh, this, uh, like these questions become very complex. If you're training a deep learning model on workplace knowledge, is there a chance of bleed through to other companies? uh, when models are trained on those emails or something. Right. And so is that, that's something I imagine Microsoft research is thinking quite a bit about.
2: I mean, at Microsoft, we are super careful about, you know, we, we host, you know, for email, like, um, you know, email for companies and, you know, there's so many rules and regulation about privacy and security. So we wouldn't never, we would be very, very careful about ever bleeding across, Mm -hmm. um, we would test stuff on ourselves you know because we should be testing it on ourselves but we would really haven't been testing that kind of stuff on our you know people who use our services because it's just too risky i think right now mm-hmm. but certain verticals i think you could definitely do so if you're scheduling meetings or you're doing recruiting or you're doing you know billing and finance and stuff like that i think there's a lot of a lot that you can learn about those domains that can be shared across you know which is sort of separate from the user or the companies profile data.
1: One of the more interesting, unexpected things for me was uh, that you have bots on Skype. And it was actually really, I'll give you kudos, it was really easy to get up and running. Uh, we tried that summarized bot, And I could see that being useful where somebody, because if you're on a call and somebody's sharing a link, you don't have time, to, you're on a call, you don't have time to go read it. So it's actually giving a nice little summary. Mm-hmm. Um, can you say more, like, are, are you thinking more about like video bots as well?
2: Well, Skype, you know, I think video bots, audio bots are really a natural for Skype. And so from the very beginning, they, they've they been thinking about video-based and audio bots, uh, 3D bots, all kinds of um, higher fidelity bots. So yeah, I think that they definitely are be a great place to, to do that in Skype.
1: Is there anything that you uh, wish somebody would build out there? Or uh, is there something that you saw out there that was interesting?
2: You know, there's so many things that I think that, are kind of simple and basic that I still really want. Like I still want the bot that helps me manage all my people. Mm-hmm. You know, people, time, place, right? Those common ways that you, you know, things that everybody does. Um, I don't really have a bot that helps me manage people and my conversations or the people I care about. I mean, I have many social networks, but I don't I never really felt like they really represent who you are mm-hmm. as well as they could. So I think you know, people bought something that understands your places. And obviously there's a lot of work being done on places that are familiar, but how you could combine those components, I think would be really interesting. There's so many things in the workplace. I think that's just ripe for automating uh, so many of the tools and web-based tools we use here every day at work to do reviews or, you know, anything, buying something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think government services. So there are many things that just feel like they were made, um, Back when people had to press those phone menus all the time to get mm-hmm. things, they're sort of in that ilk. And I think if we could um, make a lot of those easier to, to use, that's just, you know, helping people with problems. So I'm hoping somebody builds a bot for like tons of those kind of services that we have in here. And I'm sure that people have them. Um, customer service, I think, is a really big topic. It's uh you know, it's the thing that you always avoid doing, calling mm-hmm. a company for customer service because you know you're going to be have a bad experience. So there's a lot of experiences like that where I think the bar is fairly low for making it better than it is today, but we probably just have to really talk to a lot of companies and see where they're most useful. Your, your
0: wish list brings to mind um, Joshua Browder with the do not pay bots that challenge parking tickets. <laughs> we, we spoke with him on this program a couple of weeks ago. And what was really striking about that is, you know, these these kinds of bots, which basically take down some details about how you got your parking ticket and, and where you are and so on. All it does is, is just generate a form letter that then you mail to your relevant authority. So you can think about these bots as kind of APIs for social interactions that don't have APIs. You know, there's behind the parking ticket challenge system is probably a computerized database, but uh, you as a citizen don't have programmatic access to the parking ticket challenge database. You have to write it in a letter and mail it to someone. So I think one of the really promising things about bots is that you can um, take all of these processes that have evaded automation so far and evaded computerization and automate and computerize them.
1: What that brings to mind uh, for me, and I think about Microsoft, are like the the office document formats and PDFs, so maybe all those should be bots, right? So can I navigate all my PDFs? Because <laughs> that's the way the government really works on PDFs, right? Yep. All those things are are printed out and they become a PDF that's scanned and somebody uh, types it back up again. That should be a bot.
2: Just riffing on that, like it'd be just cool, right? That you could. One of the things that we have is something called form fill mm-hmm. in our bot builder, and basically what it does is it kind of um, if you already have a schema or a form, let's say a pizza ordering mm-hmm. form where you have toppings and whatnot, um, you basically kind of create a little form and you let people fill in the form verbally with in any order. And so people have really liked using FormFlow. And so, you know, you could take your PDF and generate a form out of it and then let people fill it in or be reminded of what they need to go do or fill in later. I think a lot of the repetitive things really are kind of form-based. But, you know, I was thinking when you were saying that, Pete, was just schools, right? Think of all the forms that you still need to fill out for first day of school. Mm -hmm. School's just starting. And so, you know, kids are going to be the ones who do this, you know, maybe before we do, because they're chatting all the time and they, you know, they can just fill it in on their phone or whatnot.
1: Maybe there could also be a homework bot if there isn't already... Where you give it your uh, workbook homework and it fills it in for you.
0: Yeah, as it, exactly as it is the the um, you know kinds of sophisticated <laughs> computing that can answer homework questions it has changed so much uh, since since I was in school. Like you can just go on Wolfram Alpha right now and have it like factor polynomials or, you know, integrate something. And when I was in school, you know, just like doing arithmetic on your calculator was the way that you cheated at math homework. And <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, now you can just you can answer all of these kinds of abstract mathematical questions as well. So.
2: Well, even beyond, you know, homework cheating, there could always be scheduling. Mm-hmm. So if you think of kids and how they schedule, I don't know how many kids actually keep calendars or mm-hmm. adults. And so... They're probably calendars somewhere, you know, in their homework schedule and on their phone somewhere and some reminder that they're supposed to go to tennis or whatnot. And it might be a better way to consume your calendar Mm -hmm. if you're a student even to do that. So I'm just riffing with you guys. I mean, (laughs) I just think there's many things that, um, you know, probably it would be fun session just to just to like brainstorm on. You know, all the bots that we should go do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah. Well, bots in the school, bots in the workplace, you know, and, and school bots and calendar bots are both really interesting kinds of social bots that you can get into calendar bots, of course, because they, they invite your friends and your, your colleagues to sort of participate in a bot with you um, school bots, because everything about school is sort of social in some sense.
2: Yeah. I love the calendar bot. I mean, it has to work enough that you're willing to let it schedule a meeting with someone that you really want to mm-hmm. meet with. Um, And so we've been like, what, what, should it have a name? Should it not have a name? Like, would you feel weird saying, Hey, you know, Cortana scheduled this meeting for me? Was that, do you feel nerdy that way? Would you rather have it have somebody's Mm -hmm. name? But it is, it does get back to that core of, um, if a bot is emulating a person that it has to be enough of your Mm -hmm. character, that when you bring it into your conversation, it feels great versus the first conversation is like, what do you have that for?
0: Right, right, right. Like that. Yeah, I I use uh, X.ai to schedule a lot of meetings and I have belabored this a great deal on the podcast. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting sort of new social territory. So having an assistant at all is a slightly awkward thing because, you know, sometimes you don't bring your assistant into the loop to schedule something. If you're, if you're asking a big favor of someone, you don't say, okay, great. Well, you know, Andrew here will set up a meeting. And if you're emailing someone who implicitly sort of outranks you in some sense, you know, like your boss's boss, you're not going to send that person to your assistant either. And you're also not going to send your personal friends to your assistant, you know, um, to, to grab a drink or whatever. So it it kind of leaves this, uh, this subset of interactions that feel comfortable with an assistant. And then, um, you know, which of those are natural with a bot as well. And, And it's, it's an area you have to, I kind of explore.
1: The other thing that brings to mind, though, which, Lily, would be interesting to hear your take on, um, is bot-to-bot interaction. So mm-hmm. bots can be social with humans, but it seems like some of the real power, you mentioned before that it's, it seems like some of the Microsoft bots are growing more out of a search background than, than these other bots we've been talking about. And one of the powers of search is like the needle in the haystack thing of really scaling what you can do more than a human. You know, could dig through all those documents. And so it seems like there's something powerful when you could have four or five of these bots coordinating. And it reminds me of, we mentioned this before on the podcast, the uh, Knowledge Navigator demo that uh, Scully did <laughs> years ago. And, and and it's really stitching together like four or five different capabilities in in tandem to do something like, hey, book my vacation next week, right?
2: So that's a great point. So we've been finding some people want to build more complex bots. And really, as you build a more complex bot, you know, how should you code it? Should you put everything in one bot or do you sort of have subtasks at a kind of a router mm-hmm. that is routing between different services that are always listening, which think they have the best probability of giving you the right answer? So Show Ice does that, I think. She has many, many different Mm -hmm. skills and it kind of routes between different skills based on what it thinks you want to do. And, you know, I think some of the Uber bots do this. Cortana does that. I'm sure Alexa does that. Um, I don't know about Siri. And so I think even within an organization, you're finding, or just for a person doing more complex domain-specific things, we're still finding that as bots get more complex, you're kind of wanting to even route it between search answer versus a natural language Mm -hmm. answer versus, you know, I don't know, a, cu- a question and answering service so just how you can break your bot down into smaller pieces into subbots I think are really interesting and then one is a subbot just a mm-hmm. bot so we were having this meta discussion of well is a skill just a bot without a greeting that is sort of embedded versus something that gets explicitly handed off because the ownership is different and we kind of mm-hmm. like that model that the subbot and the bot, You would use the same tools, essentially, to build them. So I think that's the first kind of bot-to-bot you'll see. Like, we'll either hand off within a bot, or one, you know, has a bot, but they're just sort of passing off onto different services. So like Cortana can hand off to Uber, and Uber obviously owns Uber. Mm -hmm. So... The user wants to be talking to Uber and then might hand back. And you see this with, you know, Kik has this obviously with payments or their points and Telegram has it with the directory, kind of hands you off to rate an app, mm-hmm, bot, mm-hmm. hands you back. So I think you're already starting to see it. But the person to persons admin bot is kind of, I think, the scenario <laughs> we all have in our minds. That makes us chuckle. Right, right, right. <laughs> We're
0: having two admin bots that are talking to each other and, yeah, generating a great deal of natural language as they're translating back and forth between <laughs> structured language.
1: Well, we know that was always the way that uh, Captain Kirk would beat the, uh, you know, killer AI is just ask it a question that gets caught in a feedback loop. So <laughs> that, that, that'll be the secret weapon. You just need to insert one bad bot to keep the other bots busy. Right.
0: So, Lily... Um... A bit of a personal detail. You are actually trained as an architect, um, and now you're you're running this bot effort at uh, at Microsoft. Um, how does sort of having an architecture background inform the work that you're doing now?
2: Yeah, I guess I always sort of think in the back of my mind that I'm still an architect, although I haven't built a lot of buildings. And I think what architects do, um, I went to Cornell and I studied urban design and architecture, which is part of architecture. And architects always think about public space and private space and how you hmm. interact in those together through one another. And so for me, social software was a lot about maybe more the public side, and I think bots are a little bit more about this one-to-one group going public, kind of going back and forth between these public and private spaces.
0: Cool. So Lily, uh, at at Fuse Labs, this is the home of uh, of the bot framework from from Microsoft, right? Is that kind of how it's organized?
2: Um, pretty much. It's Okay, so so we run the Bot Framework team, and we're in Microsoft Research. And in Microsoft Research, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but we do products and also more traditional research and kind of run the full gamut.
0: All right, so Lily Chang, it's been a pleasure having you on. If listeners want to find you online, where should they look?
2: You should check out the Bot Framework on botframework.com, and um, you can also find me on the Microsoft Research site, or people can just find me on your usual social networks.
0: Terrific. And, of course, Lily is uh, one of our star speakers at O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. You can register for that and see the rest of the program at O'Reilly.com slash bots. Lily has a, a talk titled Bots in Society, and we've kind of given her this this, you know, slot in the program to be completely free and open to talk about sort of whatever interesting societal implications she has figured out about bots. Thanks so much, Lily.
2: Thank you. Great to see you guys.
1: Thanks, Lily.
0: All right, now we move on to bot of the week. Pete had to run, so I'm going to do this solo. This week we have three bots of the week, and they all have to do with customer service. Customer service is one of the big aspirations of chatbots. Companies that have big call centers full of customer service representatives spend a fortune to maintain those call centers full of people ready to answer questions whenever customers call up ready to spend as much time as it takes on the phone to sort everything out. And customers don't particularly enjoy talking with agents on the phone, especially when the fact that the agents are expensive means that there's a really long wait to talk to an agent on the phone. So great application for bots. There are a lot of different models for how bots might either augment or replace customer service representatives. In the kind of more augmentation model, you have a, an agent that, you know, maybe helps out with the basic stuff there. You, you spend a lot of time when you're on the phone with a customer service rep answering questions like, OK, what's your account number? What's your zip code? What's your first name? When are you traveling? You could have a bot do that with no problems. And then maybe the bot sort of stays on the line and interacts with the agent, brings up, you know, relevant information, makes suggestions, uh, generates some language that might be helpful to resolve the issue. In the more replacement-oriented scheme, the bot could sort of learn from a whole bunch of customer service transcripts or logs, develop some sort of AI understanding of how to answer questions, and then just be able to to, handle most, if not all, customer service interactions. Probably a lot of agents spend 95% of their time answering the same five or 10 questions that would be reasonably easy to train a bot to handle. So... Our first bot of the week is from KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. KLM now has a Facebook Messenger bot that you can start to interact with when you make a reservation. When you make a reservation, you go to the bottom of the page, you're filling in your contact information, and there's a checkbox that says, check here to send to Messenger. You click it, you go through a little authorization handshake, and then uh, KLM begins sending updates to you through Facebook Messenger you know, flight, flight departure uh, status, stuff like that. And it even sends you an image of your boarding pass through Messenger. If you write back to KLM after it's written you something or or you just, you know, hop into the, the conversational thread, you can ask it basic questions that get answered by a bot. Things like, you know, what time does my flight leave? When do I need to get to the airport? Is my connection on time? You can also ask it more complex questions that go to a human. I've tried it out a little bit without having a KLM uh, reservation and thought it was remarkably smooth. So you have AI here that can answer the basic questions and then you have customer service agents who are there to handle the more complex stuff. And both the AI and the real agents are talking to you through the same interface, in the same thread. You don't have to go through the annoyance of you know working your way through a phone tree and then in the end just giving up and, and yelling operator you know representative into the phone. It's all just in the same thread. Presumably the agent can look at what you've previously you know, said to the bot and get some context for your conversation. The functionality is obviously best if you have a KLM reservation, but if you don't, you can still go to messenger.klm.com and uh, kick the tires a little bit. Customer service bot number two is from Macy's. It's called Macy's On Call. And this is a, a web-based bot. Uh, you you use your mobile browser to go to Macy's.com/storehelp, and then uh, what you get is is a free text field where you can type in anything you want, or a, a section that prompts you with four different popular requests: pricing information, shop online, order pickup, and restrooms. So if you go ahead and and for instance, uh, you know, click on the suggested restrooms question and and hit submit, the app thinks for a second and it says, looking for women's restrooms? Women's restrooms are located on floor two near INC by the mall entrance. Men's rooms are located on floor one next to the elevator and on floor two near the INC by the mall entrance. So a little formal, um, but nevertheless useful. Uh, There are not usually a lot of online resources available when you're shopping to tell you where the restroom is located in the, the store you're standing in. So that seems useful. Now, after you've asked it a question and you get an answer, You don't really see a conversational interface here. There are two buttons. Got it. I have another question. And that's not quite right. Clicking that's not quite right takes you to a form where you can, um, you know, talk about sort of what went wrong in your interaction. But you have to click got it. I have another question in order to keep conversing with the bot. So it's kind of a, a, a series of one-off questions and answers. You ask a question, it gives you the answer, and then it, it kind of says, like, okay, do you have something else to ask? This kind of suggests that there is not a lot of continuity to the conversation. You can't ask follow-up questions. Maybe they expect that uh, a lot of users are just going to ask one question uh, rather than, you know, asking many different questions. All right. So let's say you click, got it, I have another question. And instead type in, where are men's suits? The answer comes back, shopping for men's suits slash suit separates? Visit men's suits slash suit separates near the first floor east entrance next to men's bottoms. So um, here it's it's doing something interesting that's uh, probably a good piece of conversational design. Um, it, it's repeating your question at the beginning of its answer. So it's it's looking to confirm what you've entered. It would be really annoying to take every piece of input and say, I think you mean men's suits. Do you mean men's suits? And then hit, you know, yes or no. But it's also annoying if the app gets it wrong and sends you to the wrong part of the store and you don't realize it until you've, you know, taken an escalator and gone to the other corner of the of the place. So this is a gentle way of saying what I heard was where are men's suits? Here's where they are. Now, I've played around with this for a little while. And um most of the questions that it answers well have to do with where things are located inside the store. If you, for instance, um, you know, click the uh, the suggested question price information, what you get is a response that includes a link to the Macy's apps for iOS and Android, which can scan barcodes and, and show you prices. Uh, and if you click the suggested um, shop online prompt, again, what you get is a link to the Macy's apps for iOS and Android surprising that so much real estate on the front page that two of the four sort of default suggestions for new users basically give you an answer that just kicks you to a different application finally if you type in help and submit which is a, a request that in a bot like this you would often expect would connect you directly with a human what you get is the answer no problem you can find us on the floor So, the fallback to this app is the assumption that you're in the store and uh, that there is an employee nearby. But that's kind of a funny thing because it seems like an app like this is meant to reduce reliance on employees on the floor. Often it's hard to find employees in a department store. If you're fiddling with a bot in the first place, you probably don't want to talk to employees. All right, app number three isn't really quite a customer service app, but it's an app that a customer brings into a store and it answers. Some of the kinds of questions that a store employee might answer. This is the Whole Foods Market recipe bot. So you you connect with it in Facebook Messenger, and it uh, it prompts you to either you know enter a search term for a recipe or just browse. And anytime you enter a term, it returns a handful of recipe ideas using these um, Facebook cards. Reasonably effectively, you can swipe you know left to right. Uh, And look at photos of different recipes, and under each one, uh, you have the option to to click either view recipe or back. Now, when you click view recipe, you're taken to the normal Whole Foods website, and you read the recipe there. It's too bad they couldn't figure out how to put that functionality directly in the conversational interface. But you know, we're always interested in ways that conversational interfaces interact with conventional GUIs, and this may be a reasonable way to do it. A, A conventional you know web application even in a mobile browser is going to be much richer in terms of the layout and the and the graphics and and the kind of content in the page than a facebook card can be so even though this bot is really just a skin for the search functionality inside the regular whole foods website i think it's a pretty interesting bot it is a remarkably low friction way to look up recipes on a mobile device while you're standing in a store aisle that's a setting where you really don't want to, like, open up your mobile browser and start kind of poking around different websites on what is probably a poor cellular connection inside a store while people are bumping into you while you're trying to get home with your groceries. It's, it's pretty quick to search. This is a kind of search task where a, a limited result space can actually be good. We we often suffer from too much choice in recipes. So having an interface where you know just four or five recipes are returned for any any search is kind of interesting. It's right for this context, I think. And it's a really interesting marketing technique. I'm sure this is similar to to a lot of other mobile marketing techniques, but you know we've we've talked about how bots kind of inject uh, computing and artificial intelligence into all sorts of places, they can put brands in contact with their consumers in the contexts where their consumers want to be, which is inside messaging apps. In this case, it can also inject the Whole Foods brand into the aisles of competing grocery stores. If this turns out to be you know, a really convenient way to search for recipes and a way to search for recipes that their customers want to use, regardless of where they're shopping, then suddenly you have you know, the, the Whole Foods bot getting used inside of Safeway aisles. So you can try out the Whole Foods Market recipe bot by going to Facebook Messenger and connecting with it. Its username is just Whole Foods, all one word. We'll link to all three of these bots: the KLM bot, the Macy's bot, and the Whole Foods bot in the show notes to this episode. And if you're curious about bots and bot strategy, how to build them, how to think about them, you ought to come to O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. Visit o'reilly.com/bots for more information on O'Reilly Bot Day. This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner.